Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast, where we're empowering mental and emotional health for Asian Americans and beyond by breaking through taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. So you heard Eric share all sorts of things like really questioning what the value of money is, what it even means, what abundance means, how to look at money in a different way. You know, he said that he was a financial planner, he's an accountant, you would think that he knows all these things about money, but he feels like he doesn't and that we are all learning as we go and as we grow. I recently told my partner, Sometimes it really frustrates me that I don't have my future consciousness right here, right now, so that I could evaluate my life right now with that future wisdom and be like, oh, this is a decision you shouldn't be making, or, you know, maybe you should be asking these questions. And I think that it's kind of been an interesting thing to continue to make peace with is that you don't know what you don't know, which is why I always encourage that asking questions, especially as an interviewer, as a writer, you know, as someone who's curious about the world, keep asking questions. And one of the things that I hope I'm teaching my daughter is to have critical thinking. So whatever we're sharing here, if it works, great. If it's the opposite of what you believe, great. You know, if you have thoughts or feedback, I'd always love to hear it. You can email me hello at fucksavingface.com. We're about to dive into part two of Eric's interview. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I highly encourage you to go back there. This is our opportunity to move into topics such as Web3, crypto, NFTs. If you've been following the markets, then you know we are in some major dips right now. But for all the financial people who I follow, the bear market is much shorter than the bull market. And that's good news for us. And if you see any of those, you know, memes or posts of people living through all of these very difficult times. So I would say the pandemic, you know, before it would have been the Great Depression or different world wars or things like that. As long as you continue to invest and move forward, this is not financial advice by any means, but According to the data, it shows that you will always come out on top and that, you know, the markets will always recover. And I guess the same way that I say that you have made it through every single one of the worst days of your life, well, so has the world. <laughs> so I guess we have that. I wanted to also share there's been this podcast that I've been loving. It's called Even the Rich. And I've always been fascinated by everything from, let's say, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster to these legacy families like the Getty family, you know, the um, JFK Jr. and Kennedy or the Kennedy family, excuse me, or um, there's in the podcast I haven't yet listened to Beyonce and Jay-Z you know, Marilyn Monroe, that was really fascinating. Um, and so was the JFK one about Jacqueline Kennedy. I didn't know all of these things about her and she was a really remarkable woman. So it's kind of similar to the other podcast that I really loved, which was Imagine Life, where you just learn so much from the storytelling aspect of uh, a notable figure who we most of us would recognize and their ins and outs of life. And you don't find out who it is until the very end. But the premise of the show is to talk about these legacy families and how, you know, they also go through loss, heartbreak, um, just devastation, resilience, all these things. So it's been interesting to me. And the reason I bring it up also is because we're on the topic of money today. So it's something that I've been keenly focused on, not just the hard facts or the way the markets work or anything like that, or the way crypto is going, 
but also just these different other aspects of money, of wealth, of impact, of, um, you know, what are the key indicators to a successful life. So I recently wrote a LinkedIn post. If you're not following on LinkedIn, please do find me there, Judy, T-S-U-E-I. And I wrote about how I'd been so ashamed for so long that I'd cobbled, you know, this life together. In the spirit of evaluating everything, things we've traditionally held as knowledge that we've known or ways of being, I'm going to read you the LinkedIn post. And then we're going to dive into the interview. And I invite you to tune in next week where I will be doing a little bit more of the storytelling that we had in season one. Um, I recently met with someone who uh, is this facilitator of a course that I'm taking in regards to getting back into newsletter writing, building up a subscription base and Substack, all of that kind of good stuff. And, you know, I realized recently that I haven't really been writing for myself. I will occasionally write for clients, but even then I have a team of writers now. So it's more strategy that I work on. And so I wanted to get a little bit more back into that. But, you know, one of the things that this facilitator was telling me is that he was so looking forward to our call. When I posted in the Slack message after setting up for the course, he already knew that I would be someone that he wanted to talk to. And so we filled up the time and then some exploring all the different facets of the things that I'm passionate about and the stories that I could tell. And so he asked if when I start drafting up more of these stories, if I could please send them to him because he loves writers and he's really excited to just kind of dive more into that with me. Um, a creative director who I work with also said when he listened to the first season of the podcast and he listened to the personal essays that he could visualize the scenes in his head and he could see it becoming a Netflix series. And so I said that you have literally called out to the universe. One of my biggest dreams is that I would write a memoir and it would get turned into a screenplay and then it would become a Netflix series. So if you're hearing this now, you know, you can send me all the good juju that that dream or even something better still will come to fruition. And it'll be interesting for me to listen to this episode years from now and see what all unfolded. But let me share with you the LinkedIn post. I haven't shared this because I felt ashamed about it, but I have a full-time job and I own a company. When I grew up, I was taught you should niche down, become a master at one thing. I wasn't taught that you could have range or be a multi-passionate person and hodgepodge your life together in a way that fits your personal preferences. Career, upward trajectory, kill it by becoming a C-level executive. That's what I thought success was. Not the freedom to work from home. For an introvert, this is essential. Or the ability to drop off and pick up my daughter from school and occasionally volunteer in her classroom or to be able to go surf and meditate to reset and host an impactful podcast or get published. But here's the thing. This paradigm works for me and my daughter because I get epic health insurance and a matched 401k. I also get an ESPP. I get to do meaningful work and share people's stories. These are important things as a single divorced parent who is the sole provider of my daughter's health insurance and school tuition for the next couple of years. I do not want to be a burden on my daughter. She's an only child, and as I age, I want to do all I can to set myself up so she can have a free and meaningful life of her own accord. Plus, when Wilder came to our offices a few months back, she was so stoked, in awe of the fancy big new building and the wonderfully kind people I work with. They said she's now an honorary team member. I also have a company because I'm really amazing at what I do, and I love it. We not only signed up an extremely 
incredible DEI-focused client recently, but I also have a team of writers who are very talented and such good people. We're in June, and FreshBooks tells me that we're at six-figure revenue. Note, revenue is different than profit. I'm tired of feeling badly for working hard to make my life work for me and my daughter. There's no one-size-fits-all. I want my daughter to learn the resiliency, tenacity, discipline, and innovation to build a life that works for her unique blueprint. I want a life tailored to me so that I can shine. And this, my friends, is it. I have so much gratitude for where I am now. So much. I wish for all of us to have permission to thrive and give back in all the ways we're designed for to help heal this world. So that's what I shared. It's gotten almost 3,000 impressions and has been performing pretty well on LinkedIn, I gotta say. But, you know, I am practicing getting back to core values and storytelling around that and, you know, just continuing to evolve and grow my life. So I hope that you get a lot out of this episode. I would love to hear what you think of it. Please always consider supporting the show by sharing it with all of those you love. And if you'd like to make a monetary donation, that'd be awesome too. Have a wonderful day and see you, hear you, talk to you. (laughs) Not really sure what the sign up there is next week. What have you come to kind of realize at this point in time about money? That I don't know anything about it, <laughs> right? The concept of, of this paper money, of the, the Federal Reserve and everything, everything right now is just a bunch of ones and zeros. That's kind of really all that it is. And then so for, for somebody like myself and I, you know, I've come across folks that have made treme- like millions of dollars buying and selling and trading JPEGs and stuff like that or NFTs. And it's made me really, again, question our concept. Like we were told, especially for for us as Asian Americans, we were told the way to get ahead is you go to school and you grind your face off and then you graduate, you go to college, you apply, you know, you apply for a great college, you find a degree in something not necessarily that you're passionate in, but something that you can make a lot of money in, right? So that's why some of us get led down the path of being a doctor or a dentist or an attorney, even though we hate that stuff because we know economically that will make us money. And then we go into this, this education system that we get inundated with, with debt. We get saddled with debt for the, the hope that we end up with a job and a position. <clears throat> we graduate, we hopefully get a job, and then now we have to work for 10, 15 years to pay off the student loan, and then hopefully another 10 to 15 years, 20 years to finally be able to say that we've made it. Mm-hmm. And then our kids repeat that cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So that's been the traditional thought process of like how finances are done. And then maybe you'll get ahead by putting some money in the stock market. Maybe you'll get ahead by starting a business and grinding your face off over there. And then maybe just by the stroke of luck, you'll be defy all the odds and maybe you'll become a millionaire, right? Like that would, that's like the traditional way of looking at things. And and so in the cryptocurrency space and in the web three space, things move really quickly where a lot, of, a lot of those original notions of how things are done don't necessarily operate the same in this space. So in the Web3 space, you could be a passionate artist that has a great piece, you know, has great curation of art and a great community. And now you could intersect that two together and create a tremendous amount of abundance. You could be a business that you have a beautiful idea and you have an MVP or, uh, or like a minimum viable product but instead of going and begging at venture capital money uh, to VC funds for this money for a year or two to try to get money to fund your business, instead you go to your community, you go to the audience and say, hey, 
we're launching this cool thing. You guys want to come in, right? Like, and now it's like, it's turning this whole financial model on its head. Instead of the people that are the wealthiest, that are the ones in power and the ones that are be able to say, we'll fund your business. We'll fund your business. You, your woman. No, we're not going to fund you. You're, you, you're minority. Nah, we're not going to fund you. You're not part of the Silicon Valley crew. Instead, you could go create a web three product and now market your products and services to the community who will fund your product without any real care of gender, ethnicity, sexual preference, all that mm-hmm. stuff and create like crazy businesses. You could even run completely anonymous, mon- anonymously if you want it and just be your profile picture and then create like incredible, crazy business or mm-hmm. create incredible, crazy abundance for yourself. So it's like for me in terms of like how money is thought of and how it's been created, like it's, it's, it's really shifted. And like this, this is even without going down the rabbit hole, like how the Federal Reserve creates mm-hmm. fractional reserve banking mm-hmm. and funds and the fiat system with used to be back with gold. That, that, that's, that's a whole different subject, but just in terms of like how it operates for us as individuals, this has really changed the way I look at it. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things like, yes, it's so exciting to get into the space and realize like how much um, you could generate from getting into the crypto space. But then once you start diving a bit deeper and then, you know, there are so many people that I follow who are like, you need to figure out what your investing thesis is. Like, why are you doing this? What do you what do you care about? What are your core values? And then. From there, seeing how the technology can indeed shift a lot of things that we think we know. So, for example, most people are paid every two weeks, but then people who are in marginalized, you know, situations and circumstances, that two-week stretch is so long to make your money go that far. And then when you're in a pain point and you need that money, well, the banks and all these loans, like they aren't structured to benefit you, they're structured to benefit them. So then you get more and more deeper in the hole. But with, you know blockchain technology and like all of the advances that are coming through, why can't people get paid at the end of every day immediately with like the lightning network? Like why can't they get paid? And then every single day be able to, to use that for what they need to sustain and to live. So I feel like learning about other aspects, um, you know, however controversial all of this stuff is like seeing, wait, there are some real changes that could very much benefit people who need that change. Or, you know, I was, um, watching like a YouTube video from someone who is in this space and he was talking about how his Venmo account got put on hold Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, there was no clear reason. And then he had the cash app and because the cash app now is using the lightning network, he's like, wait, there's like another alternative. I'm not going to like, you know, it's not going to be subject to again, a third party or like, a you know, who's going to tell me yes and no, you can't use it. And that happened to me where like, I don't even know what the reason was, but I was trying to make a payment and then Venmo put my account on hold and it took forever for it to get off of that hold. And then because of that, I couldn't use it for all the other transactions that I needed to send someone money for a meal or to like, you know, whatever it was. And it became such a hassle. I'm like, nope, there has to be a better way. There has to be another way that is not reliant upon some other entity telling me like, you know, that I'm qualified or good enough or whatever the, or just by standard procedure, the seven to 10 day wait or whatever it is. Um, So I think all of the things that you're talking about um, are encouraging us to just shift our understanding. And that's exciting. It's exciting for someone who I've been thinking a lot recently about like microaggressions and just like us being Asian American and like, you know, and 
again, there's like social hierarchies, there's different um, cultures that have it more challenging from like a general day-to-day systemic kind of thing. So I get that. But I keep thinking back to when I was living in Hawaii, how lovely that felt to be part of the majority and how Mm -hmm. like so much of that was normalized. And I felt like accepted. I'm like, oh, see, this is what it would feel like if I lived in a culture or in a society where I felt like I fit in and where like every day there's not some quiet like questioning of like, why did that person say that? Or like, is this harder for me because of this? And like, you know, as a woman, like whatever it is. Um, and I don't think we're going to get to some sort of utopia in, in our yeah. lifetimes on this planet. But I think if there are ways that, and there's going to be a learning curve and a process and not all this crypto stuff, is going to be great. I mean, there's that couple that just got arrested mm-hmm. for like laundering, like <laughs> however many billions of dollars. Four billion. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's that. And I think it's also intimidating, but for me also, when I was going through my divorce, you know, just looking at my financial state at the time and looking at where I was and thinking about how scared and concerned I was then. And I knew that whatever happened, I would still have the earning potential and the power to go out and like rebuild whatever it is that I needed to build. But that's not the case for a lot of people. And so then they just get stuck in those circumstances and situations where they cannot leave. And like that thought to me just was so heartbreaking and like, you know, just wrenched my stomach. And I was thinking about how the innovations that were hopefully coming through with like crypto and money and accessibility and all that could potentially change that for someone's life, that they could then have ownership that's not, you know, dependent upon anybody else and that they could take that digital wallet and walk away and just be like, it's mine, all of the, you know, like I can just walk away. Um, And so I think because, and for anybody who follows like Raul Paul and like all the things, and he was in like, high macroeconomic finance and seeing how the wealthier just got wealthier. And he's like, this is not right. Like, this is not right. The financial institutions are not built for the everyday person to succeed and thrive. And so there has to be another way. So he's like so bullish into crypto, like just like (laughs) all about it. But he's like, but it increases access to everyone else. You don't need any, I mean, who doesn't have a smartphone at this point in time or access to the internet? Like, yes, there's a steep learning curve, but once you learn it, you're like, oh, okay. Like, I got it. And, or the fractional ownership that you can have in Bitcoin, like you can buy, like you said, a hundred dollars, a dollar, like whatever. There's no like minimal amount. There was someone who was talking about how whenever we try to read articles online, you get that like notification, like you have to sign up and subscribe to get this article. The paywall. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) um, they were like, well, think about what you could do with like crypto where fine, I'll give you 10 cents to read this and I'll just do it right now instantaneously. And then I can read it instead of having to be like, I got to pay $9.97 a month on my credit card. I got to go pull out my credit card to do this. (laughs) And how much even that would change like content creation or like the um, intellectual property that like writers and creators and artists have struggled with for so long. Um, I think that that's what's super exciting about it. So um, I love yeah. everything that you were saying. I love it. I, I think at the end of the day, <clears throat> the framework of how the economy works, especially in America, is we're based on a very consumer society. And to keep this economic cog working and to allow the companies or corporations to do what they needed to do, there's a certain framework or structure that we all are tied within, right? That's why we have these nine to fives, five day a week positions, right? Like this is why we have to show up to work. This is why we have credit card debt and student loan debt to keep this cog 
in this machine. Like we're, we're like these battery packs in the matrix to make the entire <laughs> computer thing work, right? We're just effectively like slaves to this economic system. And then so a lot of us, and I think COVID really opened it up for a lot of us for better, for worse. We started realizing when we worked from home, we're like, wait, I don't have to be working nine to five. I could get my whole day's work done in three hours, mm-hmm. right? Where some folks started seeing other countries move to a, a four-day week work model, mm-hmm. or even a three-day work, week work model. And statistically seeing that their productivity was just as good, if not greater than the American's five-day model. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We're starting to realize that the, the story that we've been sold about consumerist capitalistic America is not this dream life that we thought it was, right? Like this story that we've been sold has been driving revenue and profits to big corporations. And for us, we're just a cog in the machine, right? And then so crypto, I think is really interesting and exciting. And don't like, like uh, they're making the mistake, right? There are barriers to entry to crypto right now, right? There's a technology component, understanding component. There's a safety component that still needs to be addressed. But it, this is this is changing the paradigm of how we do things. Now we still have a bit of a ways to go until it becomes like this great solution for everybody. Mm-hmm. But it, it is really opening up opportunities for for many folks, and it's mm-hmm. making folks really reassess like the viability of our existing system and how we could potentially either change that or just completely you know start something fresh. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you pointed out like it's not a perfect system by any means and I think like yeah there's a lot of um idealists or I forgot what the term was that they used for people who are like so hardcore not hodlers but like, or a bunch um, of maxis like, yes yes exactly <laughs> that's the term um and so no like it's not perfect by any means but I'm hoping that like at least it's encouraging people to think about things differently and you know I think about it with the long view of like all right well I'm at the start of this now, but by the time my daughter gets to an age where, you know, she's going to be spending money and like doing all of these things, it will be a different like space for her. And hopefully I will understand it much better to create kind of like a different existence for her. What that means, I don't know. You know, I was, we were talking before this, um, other mentors that I've met with the Founder Institute organization that we're both a part of, you know, they, when it comes from like a neuroscience consciousness, um, viewpoint the metaverse is actually not great (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like tapping into very like it's going to shut off certain parts of our brain or amplify other parts of our brain that are going to make us very like primal we're gonna have a hard time connecting with one another empathy compassion Mm -hmm. like those things are going to be hard so knowing that yeah like that's a good thing to be aware of and um I was listening to an interview with like, the former CEO of Google. I think it was on like armchair expert. And he was just like, I really highly encourage that whoever the powers that be get into a room, but the room has to be filled with everyone from an economist to a psychologist to like all of people from all different backgrounds to see how our right. artificial intelligence is powering us forward as a humanity. Cause if we don't do that, we're going to be in big trouble. Like there are going to yes. be some things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely big ethical considerations in the tech side of things that aren't considered. Like if you're, and there's like a whole separate tangent, right? But if you're a computer science, um, if you're chasing a computer science degree, learn programming languages and all that stuff, they're not taking classes on philosophy or humanity or humanities or ethics. That's not part of the program. So what you're starting to see is some of the, the most smartest and most genius like computer developers and programmers they're developing things or creating societal change 
really have no consideration in their coding in terms of the ethics behind it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a big problem. So you bring up a really good point. Um, you know, like what are the ethics in AI? What are the ethics in technology? And we're starting to see some social media platforms like Facebook and even Twitter are causing more division mm-hmm. because of the algorithm, because they're being fed by advertising, right? They want to push you certain pieces of content because it's going to cause you to engage more at the platform. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the content that they're serving you is good content for you or healthy content for you, but it just, it's just going to serve to, to create more polarity and division. And that's mm-hmm. what Facebook has done. And Facebook is a ambiguous profit generating multinational corporation run by Mark Zuckerberg. Like the ethics part of it is kind of immaterial to him. He's like, okay, how many more billions of dollars can I be making on this thing? Right? So There's definitely a lot of challenges in the space, but I think what's really cool is like as more and more of us are starting to, and again, like COVID for better, for worse, I know there's different positions on it, vaccine, all these different things, right? Like, but for better, for worse, what COVID had done is it really shocked the way that we looked at things, how we looked at our governments, how we looked at our policies, how we looked at ourselves, how we looked at our neighbors. It made us start really reassessing things, reassessing our priorities, reassessing our idea of ethics, reassessing our ideal lifestyle. And I think it's going to be a, you know, a really interesting force for change um, in terms of, of how things are looked at. And hopefully ethics will play a bigger role in technology. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like, yeah. And as someone who loves the planet, like it does, like, you know, I'm fully aware of all of the other impacts. And I think that that's a great thing to look at just so you know, and you're aware. I mean, like once you know, you can't not know. (laughs) (laughs) But um, how can you be a conscious citizen and be a contributor? And ideally, this podcast episode just kind of was an opportunity for someone to expand their awareness, agree, disagree, but like at least just to hear from someone else who's like gone into that space. Um, At the end of every interview, I always like to ask if you could say fuck saving face about something, what would you say fuck saving face about? Oh, man. You know, like at the end of the day, what I've started realizing was like, I used to live my life as a people pleaser for a long time. And that all revolves around trying to make my mom and dad um, or get my mom and dad's approval. And then that spread like, like cancer across like every <laughs> other relationship I had. So like <clears throat> I used to always try to save face by, you know, making sure I made other people happy. And I'm like, fuck that. Like fuck saving face. Mm-hmm. I'm like trying to make other people happy. Like I need to prioritize like what's important to me and, and validate myself because if I don't do that, like how can I help other people or how can I mm. even, even attempt to like try to impress other people? Like I've, mm. and maybe it's because I'm now the age that I am where I'm like, fuck everybody else. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't care about what you think. Like, I'm just going to build my own thing. And I, I know there's this big span of my life in my twenties where it was all about like, yeah you know, making other people happy. But now I'm, I'm at a point now where like, I just want to live my life the way I want to live my life. And that's like, one of my favorite, I guess, studies was like the regrets of the dying. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing that people would have regrets on, on their deathbed as they're about to pass away is they wish they lived a life that was authentic to them, a life that they wanted to live, as opposed to a life that was for others, or even to impress or to satisfy others, right? So Fuck saving face on like impressing others and like worrying about what the other people think. Just do your own damn thing. Have a good old time, enjoy life and like live life to every, you know, every moment as, 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 as best you can. I love that. Um, 
So if people want to follow more and like if they're in California and Southern California and want to come to one of your events, I know you're going to be speaking at um, ETH in Denver, but um, also if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about when we say like Bitcoin and ETH <laughs> and all of that, uh, you can go look online, ETH is ETH, um, but you can see all the different coins uh, in the cryptocurrency um, space right now. Uh, but if people wanted to follow more with you, where could they find you? Yeah, so there's two places that best find me. It's uh, Instagram, and my Instagram is at the Cashflow Doctor, and then my Twitter. If you want to see some of my hot takes, which aren't always the best, <laughs> um, but my Twitter is at Erock E R O C K Neem N G H I E M. That's my last name. Hmm. Erock oh, Neem. I've always been curious too. Your last name, when it comes to an Asian last name, is not a traditional one, is it? <laughs> it's a very so. I'm Vietnamese. My mm-hmm. parents are both Vietnamese. So the the most common Vietnamese last name is Ngo N G O or Wing, which is N G U Y E N. That's like kind of like the Jones or the Smith of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Niem is very uncommon. So mm-hmm. I think statistically, it's like less than half a percent of Vietnamese mm-hmm. have that last name, mm-hmm. and it's just because it's a regional a regional name in Vietnam. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize until I moved to China and had to have my name printed on a business card that people were like, oh, your name is just a name. Like there's no, mm-hmm. it's not like other words in the Chinese language. And that I didn't realize like how rare that was um, yeah. that, yeah, that it's just a name. So um, yeah, I appreciate, uh, you know, different surnames. <laughs> we we are rare birds. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Thank you so much for today. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Want to support this podcast? You can do so in crypto. If you'd like to send your dollars, aka fiat currency, to me via the Cash App, which uses a super fast lightning network, I can convert it into Bitcoin. You can find me on the Cash App by typing in dollar sign Judy Tsui. That's T-S-U-E-I. More ways you can support the podcast are by sharing this with your friends, family, anybody you think might enjoy this. And remember to go get your copy of the Little Book of Tibetan Rites and Rituals at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Audible, or wherever you like to get your books. Make your story beautiful today.